Hey, Dale. Got a new assignment for you. Vacation. Uh, thanks, boss. Y you mean it? You betcha. Self-care is good for business. Sometimes things just get better. Like AT&T. We've invested more than $150 million to grow our wireless network coverage to over 99% of Nebraska. Visit att.com slash Nebraska and learn how to get a free smartphone when you switch to AT&T. Coverage not available everywhere. Over 99% coverage based on third-party data. Network investments based on 2018 through 2020 expenditure. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you on Sunday, May 2nd. The Cubs dropping two of three to the Cincinnati Reds in Cincinnati, the two teams' first meeting of the year. And Brendan, this was a, an, another in a long line of frustrating series for the 2021 Chicago Cubs, mostly from the fact that, you know, once again, we have that weird sort of mashup of, of timing where now the offense has a better weekend, but the starting pitching in particular is a complete mess. And the Cubs win the game on Saturday by by one run, a nice close game. You felt good about them being able to kind of grind that one out and pull off that victory, hold the late lead. And uh, sandwiched around it is two close losses, both of which you you really feel like you could have won and, and you know only needed, of course, to steal one of those to end up winning the series. But alas, we find ourselves heading into a, a very tough pitching matchup with the Los Angeles Dodgers, having lost another series. Yeah, the offense looked especially better in that last game when they were a little bit more aggressive. And we saw Ian Happ, for example, be a little bit more aggressive uh, Rizzo had a first pitch home run, just blasted that. So it seemed as if, at least in the series, there was like a tangible philosophical shift. Maybe, but it just looked as if that was the case from my perspective. And it sucks to see Hack go down an injury like that. But there, there are positive trends in this series, despite some of the inconsistencies that we've talked about for weeks. Justin Steele, I think, is a promising candidate in the bullpen, although he didn't look especially good in his last outing. But you have guys, I think, to follow as the season goes along here in the immediacy, even like Dill Maples, for example, and Nico looks good. Alzelay continues to look good and whatnot. So despite some of the frustrations, I think ultimately there are points of focus to, to continue to follow Corey. Yeah, absolutely. So we will talk about the goings-on in these three games in Cincinnati, the good, the bad, the ugly, and anything else in between. We will, as Brendan mentioned uh, just a second ago, we will keep an eye on some of those more future-oriented things, and and we want to keep doing that, I think, as we go forward here, because as you all know, we don't really know how the 2021 season is going to play out on the field from a results perspective and from a roster construction front office perspective. But however that all works, there is going to be a lot of important stuff happening in 2021. On the last episode, in particular, we highlighted, of course, Edward Alzali and Nico Horner. And so we want to keep looking at some of these guys who are going to be a part of the mix for the Cubs uh, for the rest of 2021, but also beyond that because whatever Jed Hoyer and, and the front office and everybody decides to do, there there's going to be a, a good handful of players that we see in this season that can impact some of those decisions and, and impact the roster in years going forward. But let me do a, a short recap uh, to set the table for these three games with the Reds, remind you of what happened since Friday evening. On Friday, it was an 8-6 to six loss for the Cubs. The Cubs jumped out to an early 2 to nothing lead, but the Reds would score eight unanswered runs, a late comeback for the Cubs, two runs in the seventh and two in the ninth, and they had the runners on. It, it looked like a, uh, a nice rally potentially brewing for the Cubs on Friday night, but they did fall short. Eight to six was the final. The starter for the Cubs on Friday night was Jake Arrieta. And, uh, you know, really his his first not-so-great uh, outing of the year, three and a third, seven hits, seven earned, one walk, two strikeouts. He gave up three home runs in this one, so not quite... Uh, reminiscent of other past performances we've seen of Jake Arrieta in Cincinnati. Uh, I'm 
thinking of the no-hitter, but this was far from that, unfortunately. So 8-6 to six was the final, the Cubs uh, getting their runs in a variety of ways, but I would like to point out one of them was Chris Bryant's seventh home run of the season, and boy, was he not done. Uh, one of the very, very bright spots in this series, for sure. On Saturday, it was a 3-2 to two Cubs win, the Cubs falling into a quick hole with Zach Davies on the mound, but he did settle things down. He goes four innings, four hits, two runs, only one of them earned, three walks, and three strikeouts. So a better outing from Davies, uh, only through 76 pitches in the four innings. So, you know, Ross just pulling him uh, based on where they were in the lineup and stuff like that. So he did settle down, a better outing for him, but as we've kept mentioning and we're going to talk about in a little bit, still length from the starters, a big problem, still not getting any outs in the seventh inning. They have not gotten an out, the starters, the entire season. So that is not going to play, and uh, nobody this entire weekend goes into the fifth inning. So you guys can do the math. That is not good from a starting rotation. Uh, the Cubs getting their runs in this one after, like I said, falling into that quick two to nothing hole. Zach Davies with a nice bunt actually in the top of the third to bring home a run. Jason Hayward would tie things in the fourth with an RBI single, and it was Nico Horner in the top of the sixth with the game winning RBI single. Craig Kimbrell getting his fifth save in this one. On Sunday, 13 to 12, the final for the Reds. This was a, a sort of classic uh, game in Cincinnati with the way that ballpark plays. And, and, you know, we've seen, I think, a lot of games between these two teams over the years that just uh, a lot of runs, a lot of home runs, some wackiness in there. And uh, yeah, it was a, a tough loss. But uh, some of the highlights in this one, Trevor Williams was the starter here. Not a good day for Trevor. Two and two-thirds, six hits, six runs, four walks, and two strikeouts. So yuck on, on that. Yuck on the entire rotation. Uh, again, Davies better, but still only four innings. Two and two-thirds from Williams. Uh, three and a third from Arietta. Not good. The Cubs getting their runs in this one. Chris Bryant with two home runs in this game. He now has nine home runs on the season. He is in absolute MVP form, that Christopher Lee Bryant. Anthony Rizzo homering in the same inning as one of Chris Bryant's home runs, not back-to-back as they were separated in the lineup, but always fun when Brizzo homers in the same inning. Javi Baez launching a home run in this one. And what looked to be a a really big moment uh, for him and for the team, Ian Happ with a game-tying three-run home run in this game. Uh, A huge moment for him. Uh, You know he had to feel very good about that uh, with the struggles he's had at the plate. And, you know, me and Brendan and everybody else has talked about how he's deserved better. And he had a nice game on Sunday. Unfortunately, he exits this game not long after him and Nico uh, chasing after a shallow pop-up in center field. Nico does make the catch, but it looked like Ian took uh, Nico's knee area to his face. Uh, Leaves on the cart. David Ross after the game saying that he was in good spirits. They're going to keep checking things and, uh, you know, I think do some tests prior to the Dodgers series. I we don't we don't have a, a specific update further than that as we record this at 5:45 uh, Chicago time on Sunday evening. So check back on that uh, later on on Sunday, Monday morning, etc. But that is where we are now. So uh, more than anything, just hoping that Ian is okay. Our, our thoughts and well wishes to Ian. It looked very scary. He was able to get up and you know he was uh, awake and and looking around. But beyond that, I don't want to speculate. I just hope he's all right because that stuff is very scary. Uh, the game would be won in the bottom of the 10th on a Nick Castellanos uh, soft single to center. The Cubs brought you know all the infielders in, but Nick lofted it over their heads, and that was the game. So, Brendan, th- this was a frustrating series, and we knew that this team was going to be volatile, right? I-, I think I said on the last episode that-, that none of this has really been surprising, the way that this has played out. How bad the offense was, you know, those first couple weeks, how, how you know, exceedingly bad they were was a surprise, but that that has been you know, at least partially rectified, even if they're not, you know, the best offense in the league or anything. But the inconsistency is rather frustrating because it leads to stuff like we've seen over the past few weeks and, you know, past few series where now you have the trouble of you have a sometimes inconsistent offense and inconsistent starting staff and 
it's not lining up, right? You, you'd figure yeah. in a series where the Cubs score six runs in one game and 12 runs in another, they ought to be able to win two of the games in the series. Uh, and they win one game in the series, and it was neither of those games. So it's just... It's a frustrating brand of baseball to watch because you 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 knew that this was possible and that there were going to be these inconsistencies, but you, you do it's hard not to feel like well if you could just get these to match up a little better the days the offense is pouring on runs can we not give up thirteen runs right the team would be in a better place. That's the issue though. It's like we 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 knew this was more likely than not. It was it was hard for all these projections to accurately give out. A confident win estimate, but you're you're seeing why it's 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 hard to project someone like Ian Happ with one year last year of really good performances, but inconsistencies in years past. And in the other direction, in the positive direction, even those computers didn't see KB going off to this fast start either. So it, it goes both ways. But right now, most of the projections in the negative direction are coming true for for this team and, and and more recently in that pitching side of things as well like for you know Zach Davies and unfortunately some computers don't even like Hendricks but that, I think Hendricks is going to you know turn it around he has too much of a track record to to go down like that but Corey it, it's frustrating um I still find myself when I watch these games in the offensive side of things I find myself being really encouraged by Nico mm-hmm. um the bats again looked better. I think. I think Rizzo's looked really. I think Rizzo's looked good the entire year. To be you know fully transparent with you, and just the results weren't there in the first few weeks. But Rizzo looks really good, man. And, and Chris Bryant looks the best we've seen him in maybe like three years. Yeah. Um, so there are positives. That's and that's what makes it frustrating. It's like ah, oh, you know, you score twelve runs and the offense seems to be making a turn around the corner, and then all of a sudden you have you know Jake. And his command right. escape him. You have Kyle working with his issues. You got Wilson Contreras hurting himself. You got Ian Happ hurting himself. It's just like, oh, can we catch one break? Just one break right now? Yeah. It's hard. And I, I think that this was always what the, uh, you know, again, the the usual caveat. I mean, they're 12 and 16. The Brewers have, have played well. And so they do have, at least over the Cubs, somewhat of a, a cushion, not not really a sizable one when we're only talking about the beginning of May. So, you know, mm-hmm. still in it. This is still all very competitive, like we all knew. But just looking at this team so far, you know, the the lower end outcomes for this team, we're, we're never going to be them getting blown out every day and just looking awful and being the worst team in the league, right? That that was never the the sort of like worst case scenario for this team. It's what we've seen. This was how this was in a in a vision of how does this team not succeed the way we want it to? It's sort of exactly this, right? Like they're playing competitive games, they're in it. Some days the offense is great, some days it's not. Some days the pitching is good enough, some days it's not. And that inconsistency is sort of just what drags them down, right? They they lose some close games, they don't show up in others, they they win a close game every now and then, and it's it's just an up and down kind of roller coaster thing but this is kind of what that lower percentile I think in in my head always looked like right where they're they're a a, a decent to solid team in in a lot of respects but it just doesn't mesh up uh on a daily basis from a complete solid baseball perspective right and this is unfortunately, you know, kind of uh, what that looks like, right? Where just one yeah. facet of the game each day just isn't there, and it it sort of holds them back. And it's but but even with that type of inconsistency, it can go the other sure, direction. yeah, of course. Like, That's what's so frustrating yeah. about it, right? So I mean, we're sitting here. You're listening to this on May third. They're going to be five games back. Um, you know, if it clicks on both sides. You know this team can go on a winning streak. This is, how, this, this is how it works with this team. And if they do go on a winning streak and start putting together, you know, a decent three, four week stretch, this is what that team is. Right. They can can very easily afterwards do this exact same thing again. It's it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to predict, and it's hard to to figure out where to put your focus as, as a fan. I think, but there. That, that's all to say is if you can have, you know, like a guy like Nico step up 
And if you can have like Dylan Maples and Justin Steele and Craig look good, you're assuming that at some point the rotation does stabilize. You're assuming that even Zach Davies stabilizes and Kyle Hendricks and if Arietta can get some of his command back, having Steele and Nico and Alzelay and those guys add to some stability would be a big deal. And I can see this team going on a win streak, but it's one thing to see it. It's another thing to expect it, right? Right. Yeah, and I, you know, look, it, it, like you were saying, it, it's 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 very easy to envision how this is better, and you know, it, it, it's frustrating at the moment. I don't know how it's all going to play out, but you know, we saw so many outings in the early portion of the season where I came on here, and all you guys noticed the same thing. Like Trevor Williams wasn't dazzling, or you know, oh my God, this guy's going to win a Cy Young, but he was keeping the team in the game right? Quality starts, five, six innings, keeping the team in the game. And had you gotten that on Sunday, it would have been a really nice win. It just didn't, you know, the the timing of all of it didn't work. And it's easy to say that. It's not easy for it to happen that way, but it's it's not a, you know, sort of like a pipe dream of a scenario, right? We, we've seen the pitchers do this. We've seen the offense do it. We just need it to all kind of happen at the same time. And Maybe it will, maybe it won't, right? Like it's that that's that's what you're dealing with when you have a, a higher variance, high volatility team that that the Cubs are sort of dealing with. So that is where we are. Uh, as far as kind of specific issues from the series, I, I do want to start with the in-hap situation because obviously that is something that the Cubs are going to have to deal with. As I said, first and foremost, just hoping that Hap is okay. Any type of injury like that, uh, collision like that, especially when one of the guy's uh, heads or faces is involved, it's always scary, and, and you just want to make sure that Ian is okay. So again, uh, we, we don't have a definitive update on that other than that he is in good spirits at the moment after the game, and I'm sure we'll hear more in the near future. Um but it's, a, 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 I mean, it's all. It's always a shame when a guy gets hurt, but it, the, the timing of it seems especially cruel from Hap's perspective because he gets back in there in the leadoff spot on Saturday after, uh, you know, sort of that brief break that we talked about in the last episode uh, with Marisnik playing in center a few of those games. And he goes one for four on Saturday and then three for five uh, with a double and a home run and three RBIs on Sunday. Uh, So, you know, obviously that's only a couple games, but, you know, you did start to sort of feel like, okay, this guy has deserved better than a sub 500 OPS his approach at the plate in a lot of respects has been good. Certainly some adjustments to make, stuff to clean up, etc. But you, you finally sort of started seeing back-to-back games where you're like, okay, we're, we're starting to see this. The at-bats look better. The contact looks better. Maybe we're you know starting to turn the corner here, which again, he, he deserved better numbers uh, than he had. And you know then, of course, him and Nico going all out because that's the type of players they are. I don't know if it was a miscommunication or just, uh, you know, one of those things. And, you know, now you're, you're concerned about Ian's well-being. And, and so it's, it's, uh, it's a very tough spot. It's very unfortunate. Um, but it is going to, uh, you know, I, I, again, not to speculate on it, but you have to predict that Ian will be out at least for a little just to make sure that he is okay and healthy. Um, so it, it does sort of, beg the question of how David Ross is going to proceed with all of this. We've seen Marisnik out there in center. We've seen Chris Bryant playing the outfield. He ended up in center field at one point on Sunday. We've seen Nico all over the field. So David Ross is going to have to make some decisions here, Brendan, as to where these guys are playing and how we're getting everybody in the games. Uh, you know, now you're you're likely going to, we, you know, we saw Rizzo there last week. We've seen Contreras there. You're going to have to figure out who's who's leading off. Uh, again, at least I, I hope that Ian is okay, just sort of like a, a stinger, and he's able to get back, you know, maybe a 10-day IL stint or, or something like that. But uh, this is, you know, something that the Cubs are now going to have to deal with, Brendan. Yeah, and that's my first thought is, okay, with, with Ian out, you have a center field void, and you have that leadoff void that, that was still even there with, he, with Ian struggling. So... Who are the likely candidates to fill that spot in center and at leadoff? And we've seen Jake Marisnik now get a decent amount of playing time. He has 51 plate appearances on the year. He has an 8% walk rate, a 33% strikeout rate, and he has 
a WRC plus that's really good, a 136 WRC plus, and a weight on base average of 373. Now the question is, is 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 that sustainable? And I think any you know rational person would say, if we get a 376 Woba from Marisnik, then we're hitting the, the jackpot there. But even even with that maybe non-sustainable uh, high run value, I, I like what I've seen from from Marisnik. And he is a little bit more aggressive than your typical player. And, and, and that might be a good thing for this team right now. So compared to like the average player, uh, Marisnik swings and it seems minimal, but it's really not when you see so many pitches. He swings at almost 3% more pitches than your, than your average player. And his discipline may not be the best, but he is going to be a little bit more aggressive. And so far in the early going, I don't I don't think his strikeout rate of 34% reflects truly his underlying performances so far. And, and this is why. So when you look at his contact rate, he has a 74% contact rate. The average contact rate in MLB is around 71 to 72%. And the average strikeout rate is around 25%. So in my mind, it makes no sense that he has a well worse than league average strikeout rate but he also has a well above average contact rate. That that's eventually going to normalize out. So I think the way I kind of see it is I want to see Nico continue to get at bats, and if that's him and being if that's him being in center, so so be it. But if we can continue to get Jake Marisnik some playing time, have some speed, some aggression in that lineup, uh, I think you have more contact in Marisnik than Ian Happ. That might be a good thing for this team. But also simultaneously continuing to let Nico develop. That that's exciting, and I like having two guys with speed, like a Nico and like a Marisnik, in in the same lineup. And we, you know, we've seen the last series; uh, they're they're way more aggressive on the base paths, mm-hmm. even maybe to some of their uh, you know negative consequences, running themselves in the outs in the third base. But you can tell there there's there's a noticeable difference in the aggressiveness on the base paths, and that might be. Ross kind of pushing some urgency. I do like Ross being a little bit more urgent than I think we've seen from, you know, Joe early on in years past. I do like that. So it's all intriguing. If Ian Happ is out for a while, having Jake speed, having Nico speed in the same same lineup, having both those guys who make well above league average contact, it, it gives you a different flavor to this offense that I'm not used to. And I think because of that, I'm intrigued by it. Yeah, I think that's that's probably how I would go about things in Ian's absence. Again, hopefully a, a short one, but however long it is. And, uh, you know, hopefully they can find some stability at, at the leadoff spot. It's, it's you know, as we talk about basically every season and, you know, every other series, it's a... It's a tough spot for this team since since Dexter Fowler left. It has not been easy to fill that spot and, you know, have uh, guys succeed there and, you know, not kind of change their game and stuff like that. So uh, that is uh, another in a line of challenges for David Ross to have to deal with. And, you know, then then hopefully uh, whenever Hap is, is able to come back, um, you know, this it, is, and you know, again, just uh, hoping that his health is okay, uh, looking at the baseball perspective, just such a you, you really feel for him man like like i said like starting to have better results and you know now he's going to be coming back from an injury and you know having to make these adjustments you know for the way this season is it's a it's a tough spot for him and it's uh you know you feel for him and and hope he's able to come back soon and get back in there and uh do his thing up there in the leadoff spot and in center field uh with more of the results that we saw on sunday so Looking at the rest of the offense, uh, you know, obviously you just touched on Nico a little bit, but, you know, continuing a very impressive start for Nico Horner. I, you know, when Jock, Jock is looming, I I think, you know, maybe they're thinking this Dodger series, uh, maybe he can get back out there. So we'll see what they do there. Obviously that would impact some of the discussion we just had, but have not yet gotten a a true official word on Jock coming back. Um, But I, I think, safe to say uh, there would be a mutiny on the hands of the Chicago Cubs if they attempt to remove Nico from this team. So I think that discussion is over. If it's not, they're insane, right? He's got to be playing every day. He's doing everything you want. There's no there's no more discussion of him going back down or anything like that. Uh, he is a Chicago Cub, and he should be here every day. Correct, Brendan? 
I mean, I hope so, right? Well, it's, yeah, it's, right. <laughs> yeah, but he apparently, and it's always you know, subject to change, but apparently if you're looking at service time, he may be like two weeks ahead of that extra year of team control. So I, I don't know. I don't know, Corey. I don't know if this team is out of it in the next two months, if they end up doing some weird stuff. But I I, I think Now, Nico's to be clear, just, you're not advocating yeah. that. You're just pointing that out. Of course not. Are you kidding? Dude, I, I, I know. You just one. didn't say it. I just want you saying it on air. All right. I, well, here, here it is. I, 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 I think the time has passed for, for Nico to get any development in, in minor league baseball. Yeah. And it'd be different even if the last year and this year – uh, show some weird peripherals, but so far in the early going, he's doing what you expected. He's making well above league average contact. And if anything else, he's way better from laying off bad pitches than he was two years ago when, when he debuted and even from last year. So when he, when he debuted, he got 52% of pitches inside the strike zone. And in doing so, he swung at like a lot of those pitches, but he swung at over half the pitches outside the strike zone as well. And then this year, he's only swinging at a quarter pitches outside the strike zone. So that's a two times better difference from when he debuted. And pitchers now, uh, I think the way he's being pitched, they, there may be a little bit more of a scouting report and a little bit more respect, I guess, that comes with more playing time. He's seeing far fewer pitches inside the zone. So he's seeing, seeing 45 pitches in, 45% pitches inside the strike zone, which means not only is he seeing fewer pitches to hit, but he's seeing and laying off more pitches outside the zone. That's, that's a great sign from a developmental perspective. And I, again, I think this is like if, if you want to win now and you're trying to increase your probability of being in it around the trade deadline, there, there's no argument to be made that having Nico not in the lineup, not even on the bench, Corey, I'm talking about in the lineup almost daily, right. there's no argument to be made that that can't happen. That that's not the right way to go about doing this. And if you want to have the developmental argument, look at the peripherals again. Like, like what does he need to improve that right now? Maybe there will be something in the next few weeks that's gotten reports fine. But right now, there, there's nothing. Like, he's laying off bad pitches. He's hitting good pitches. And he's adjusting on the fly because pitchers are throwing more pitches outside the zone. This is this is what you want to see a young guy do. It's it's good to see him hitting more line drives. That's that's, you know, sort of uh, one of the keys I think for him, uh, you know, to get the ball off the ground as as much as, you know, or more often when he can. But he's he's a fun hitter to watch, especially yeah, because like of it. and we all know this, but the contrast to so many of the other hitters in this lineup, like his ability to, you know, go foul line to foul line and foul off pitches so that he has good at bats and sees pitches and makes the pitchers work. He's he's an impressive hitter, right? In and and not in a sense that we see from some of these other guys, right? Like he's not up there hitting 490 foot home runs uh, or things like that, but his ability to to make contact and guide the ball, you know, seemingly where he wants it to go, use the whole field. He might rip a double down the left field line and guide a ball down the right field line for a double in the same game. It's it's just a beautiful thing to to watch. And yeah, I mean, look, like right now he he's still on a, a, a smaller sample than everybody else. And we're only a month into the season. But, you know, the guy's got, he's hitting 389 with a 1056 OPS. What do you want from the guy? Right? Like, what else do you want him to be doing? Like, like again, like, there's there's little uh, adjustments he's going to have to make. And this isn't all a, a results-oriented thing specifically. You know, you, you're going to be looking at the process. You're going to be looking at how he's adjusting as, as pitchers start adjusting to him more, as we've seen in the past. But like the 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 time is now he's 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 giving you results at the plate and at a time where not everybody in the lineup has been giving you results all season and he's he's putting up the numbers so just let him work let him work let him develop and hopefully you know again like I don't I don't think anybody's expecting him to hit 390 all season um but the results are there. Let him work. Let him play every day. And like we were talking about in the last episode, and we mentioned with guys like Maples and Steele, like if if this year is not going to be productive on an overall sense, and it still can be, right? Again, like the team is four games under 500. It's not the end of the world in, in the division that they're in. But 
however that's all going to play out, this season has to be productive for a solid handful of these young players. And this is an excellent start, obviously, for Nico. He's injected a little bit of life and a little bit of a different profile into this lineup. And there there should be no consideration from the Cubs front office uh, of messing with that or changing with that. It would be a, a, a criminal mistake. For them, so, for them to be making, um, for whatever their their justification would even be, it's it's crazy to even suggest. Nico's a Chicago Cub. He's a Major League Baseball player. Let him do the work. Let him, you know, build his career and get going here, and leave him alone. So, Corey, I have a question for you. I'd so, love you it. have you have center field vacant, and you have David Bodie, who's who's getting playing time, and and you know he's such a weird player yeah. at times, but. Uh, you have a question now of where do you play Nico? Do you play him in center? Do you play him in the outfield and left field like we've seen recently? Do you play him at, at second base? Uh, where where do you think it makes the most sense for, for this team and even for like Nico's development? Like like yeah. I have a natural curiosity to see Nico in center field. I don't think he's going to be like the center fielder of the, of the future, but that athleticism does intrigue me. I... I think the way this team is best defensively, and it sounds weird, but I think the best way this team is going to save runs is by keeping Bodie at second base. He's a natural second baseman. Uh, He came up through the system as a second baseman. And so if that means keeping KB at third base or moving Nico to the outfield, I think Nico is flexible enough to handle any position and, and play it well. But I think if you want to save the most runs... I think this defense is best served with with Bodie at second base. Oh, so I'm going to disagree with you here. Um, I I think Nico should be playing second base. Uh, if that is the position that you believe he is going to occupy as a member of your team in the years going forward, that's where I would have him getting the reps. I, I don't think so do you he put needs Bodie at them. third base. Do you put Bodie at third base? I mean, you're going to have to play Bodie like a lot unless you want to put you know Duffy at third base consistently. So I mean, if you if you want Bryant in the outfield, and you know, I mean, at this point, especially if we're not positive when Jock is coming back, we don't know if Hap is going to be out, how long he might be out. You you may have to be doing that. So I I, I get it from that perspective. If you need Nico in the outfield, if you need Bryant in the outfield, you got to do what you got to do to get some of these guys in the lineup and and you know have people who can play the outfield. Yeah. Um, from from I, I I'm answering I guess maybe more just from Nico's perspective. I I just think if if that's if he's going to be your second baseman of the future, which I believe is is the case, uh, I think he should be playing second base and, and developing See, as a second yeah. baseman, getting those MLB legs under him. He doesn't, I don't think he needs that time, right? Like he's a, okay. he's a good defensive second baseman. I don't think it's like crucial or anything, but I, you know, unless you envision him being an outfielder, a significant portion of the time, I know they've tried it. I know they like guys being versatile, but at, at some point it does, you know, like Sunday was another example. You know, you've got Chris Bryant in left field. He ends up in center field. You've got Nico at second. He plays left field. Like it's, it's a little chaotic at times. Like I, I get the versatility. I love the versatility, right? Uh, you know, Ben Zobrist was such a key member of, of the 2016 team and then you know the the Cubs teams that he was a part of because of his versatility right he could play second base the outfield wherever you needed him but it just gets a little messy and and at some at some point it it does kind of feel like look like these guys are important and you want them playing one particular position and you know this isn't their natural position just feels like a little risky a little chaotic moving them all over the place all the time It, it feels like that lack of stability isn't necessarily a good thing long term, but I, you know they're they're in a spot right now where they might not have a choice in terms of moving these guys around. The the one thing I'll say about David Bodie is that I I really need him to clean up some of the the little stuff. It's 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 a little frustrating at times um, from him. He makes so many good plays at second base, and even when he's over at third. But there's just little things, you know, he'll he'll boot balls that are hit right at him. Um, you know, sometimes that it'll lead to them getting one out, say, on a double play and instead of both. Um, 
you know, the throw he made from third base, you know, he tried to make a tough play ranging, I think, to his right and do like a kind of like not a full on like Arenado that we've seen over there at third base, but you know, it's sort of reminiscent of that and, you know, hurled the ball into right field, you know, nowhere near Rizzo, whatever. And again, that stuff happens, but Bodie's been inconsistent at the plate. He's, you know, he's gotten the, the contract extension. He's He's been given a chance here, um, although I, I don't think as fully as they kind of committed to in the beginning, but that that is what it is. Um, I just need him to clean up some of that stuff, right? Because, yeah. you know, guys are going to struggle at the plate. He's shown the ability to make some adjustments, and you know it's it, it's tough to be consistent at the plate with how up and down his playing time has been over the years. I get that, but I need him to clean up some of that little stuff, right? Especially as we enter yeah. a phase right now where you know they, they they may need to lean on him and other guys playing different positions and all this other stuff. It's tough. I get it, but and this goes for anybody who who makes you know the the little mistakes got to clean that up right like he's he's been a big leaguer for a few years now we got to stop booting routine ground balls and and things like that yeah Bodie's a difficult had a base running mistake the other day as well yeah you know? i don't like that i don't like that you know Bodie's difficult to project just because it seems as if he's never had that consistent playing time and a lot of that is because naturally he made just you know not be a consistent player but in the short going here he does have encouraging numbers i think it does pass the eye test and some of those numbers include like a barrel percentage how often the barrel of his bat you know hits the ball and he has more barrels than 86 percent of the league and his expected weighted on base average is better than 65% of the league. And it's right now at 350, his actual Woba is like below 300. So he's definitely not getting the degree of fortune that some other players get. But from a defensive point of view, he needs to clean it up, man. And he has so many instances where he looks so good in the infield when he ranges laterally and even on balls hit where he bare hands them, like he he kind of teases you in thinking his defensive value could be so good. But to your point, like there are some instances where he doesn't turn that double play or boots balls hit right to him, and and the defensive numbers do reflect that. For some reason, on balls hit to him, he's below league average, but balls hit laterally, he's above league average, and again that matches my eye test but if we have a dual focus with this season the one focus being looking at the future maybe the secondary focus right now is how you can compete for this year I still think we need to see more of Bodie to get a true understanding of who this guy is that way you, you can you can actually start making some decisions with more information about Bodie that can guide the future and right now I'm still not there yet I think having Nico and Bodie in the same lineup getting the same action against the same pitcher is a perfect reference point to see how these guys can adjust and adapt to the same type of pitching I, I like that idea but if Bodie can just clean it up get some more fortune with these uh, at-bats and his peripherals man they look good he has made improvements he had uh, about 10 days ago he had his first extra base hit on a pitch 97 miles per hour above the belt his first career extra base hit and he's making above league average contact this year while swinging a fewer pitches outside the zone than an average hitter and so when you look at the exit velo the barrel percentage the discipline, the defensive versatility, it's 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 there. The potential is there. Now it's just cleaning up and showing more consistency, which is a legitimate question. We've seen now three seasons of some of the sloppiness on the field that I think a lot of fans get a little bit irritated about. But if he can clean it up, I do think he has a lot of value for this team, especially at that contract of $15 million over that five years. Yeah, I, I'm... Uh on board with all of that and you know we'll see how how this uh how david ross decides to utilize these guys and and get guys in there it's uh this is yeah we we've talked about some some tall tasks for david ross in uh what is his first 
real 162 game season as a manager and you know he still has a good job right now like I not to interrupt there but I I do think he's like the last three weeks I have not found myself questioning many moves I think he's doing the best he can right like I think there's a lot of these parents yeah like I think there's a lot of these scenarios where I'm not I'm not I'm not too worked up over anything because I'm not really sure there's uh you know kind of a, a more definitive answer but yeah and and I think you know again he still has not managed even a total of 162 games between 2021 and the shortened season in in 2020. So you know still some learning to be done for David Ross. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think generally I've found him to be doing a a, a good job from my couch. You know, uh, from from the information <laughs> I'm looking at, uh, I I I think that he's done from your couch, a pretty yeah. good job. And and you know certainly like the the main thing for Ross is uh, and you know not to drag up the same stuff I always talk about and throw Madden under the bus here, but the the main thing especially is just not doing stuff that's egregiously incorrect, right? And I I don't think we've seen any of that, right? Um, so that's a good place to start. Um, the last thing I want to say on the offense, I, I got two two notes. Uh, one is that you're you're sort of seeing. I, I feel like, and I, I think we talked about this a little bit in the in the last episode, but I, I do feel like Javi's calmed down a bit. Uh, he he looks better than he did at his worst in in the earlier portion of this season, and and something that. I think uh, we mentioned in, in some of those episodes was that he's such an interesting player because even when his strikeout numbers are so insane and some of the at-bats, you know, just look as bad as they do, if he's able to slug and he's able to hit mistake pitches and do the damage on the, the, the pitches that you expect him to be doing the damage on, the numbers kind of come along with it, right? And even though he's he, he ends up putting up stat lines that basically look like nobody else, um, and he, you know, he's kind of doing that, right? We saw him hit a home run in the game on Sunday. He looked to have hit a home run uh, the other night, I think on Friday night, the, the camera Twice, yeah. kind of... Uh, messed with everybody. And I know I saw a lot of people talking about that. It did look like he hit a big home run in in the ninth inning of that game. Um, But he just, he looks better uh, and he's getting the slugging to come along with it. So, you know, even right now he's hitting, he's got a 245 batting average, but a 780 uh, OPS. Uh, He's rating in, in terms of WRC plus as an above league average hitter. So, that's that's kind of the thing we talked about with him, and, and I, I remember in one of the episodes saying in particular, like, the reason that Brendan and I and all the writers and, you know, Brett from Bleacher Nation and Evan and all these other people focus on some of the gaudier swing and miss numbers or chase numbers or, you know, how he wasn't hitting pitches in the zone. The reason everybody's like hammering that stuff and focusing on that stuff is because if it gets dialed in a little, right, like the results start getting better and he's able to be a productive hitter even when he's not at his best because he has so much power and he can do so much damage as long as he's not being as wild as he was to sort of start this season. So I just wanted to to point that out because his numbers right now aren't where I think he'd like them to be uh, in terms of his overall offensive production. But for him, you know, a WRC plus that is above league average, a 780 OPS, the defense he provides at short, the base running that he does, very valuable player, right? Yeah. So he's... Yeah one of the most unique players in the league in, in terms of how he goes about these things. But as he gets some of those numbers under control, it's really easy to see where the production comes in. So that that has been nice to see, hitting third in the lineup tonight uh, or on uh, Sunday afternoon. So good to see him, you know, I think just from a visual perspective, looking better, the results coming along with it, and, you know, the overall production line starting to creep back more up where you would expect him to be. And the only other offensive note uh, I would like to add is just an update on something that I'm going to keep updating on because uh, this is something that's been a theme on this podcast for years. And that, of course, say it with me now, if Chris Bryant is healthy, he's one of the best players in Major League Baseball. So after a big performance on Sunday, he had an RBI double, he had two home runs. 
Chris Bryant now has a slash line of a 323 batting average, a 405 on base percentage, and a 708 slugging percentage. That is good for a 464 weighted on base average, a 195 WRC plus, and his 1.8 wins above replacement would put him as the fourth best position player in Major League Baseball, trailing only Minnesota's Byron Buxton. Mike Trout, of course, of the Angels, and Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Atlanta Braves. So, Brendan, as we've talked about many times, correct me if I'm wrong here, but but having the fourth most wins above replacement in all of Major League Baseball, a 195 WRC+, plus, uh, nine home runs, everything that Chris Bryant has done, I would say that that qualifies him as one of the best players in Major League Baseball. Do you agree? It's not a surprise, Corey. And of course, of course, I, I agree. And the most noticeable change to KB this year is how he's attacking high pitches. And in that Sunday game, you saw it like the pitcher missed a fastball in the outside corner, he leaked it over the top of the zone. And what did KB do? He's he hit a home run. He just completely obliterated that baseball And in years past with wrist injuries and finger injuries and shoulder injuries and knee injuries and ankles, everything you can imagine, he was not able to get to those up pitches. And he's doing that now. And he's he's showcasing why he's an MVP caliber player. And his numbers this year, man, like are just insane. So we always talk about like play discipline and contact rate and everything. He's posting so far a contact rate above 75%. This is within the same range as we saw in 2016, 17, and 18. And th- this is this is who Chris Bryant is. He's someone who consistently adjusts no matter what the scouting report is. And there was another beautiful observation. And even like Marquis threw this up on their broadcast. You can tell this year, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, Bryant's more upright in his batting stance. He's not as wide in his stance. He's not as uh, sitting deep in his in his crouch in his stance. And his hand position's up a little bit higher. And so this is maybe one of the reasons why he's able to get to those higher pitches. All this is to say is Chris Bryant's an MVP caliber player. He's healthy. He's played in the last, what is it now, 10 days center field left field, third base. He may have even played first base in one of those 10 games. I know he has this year. He's an all-around player. He's one of the better base runners, one of the most defensive, versatile, MVP quality players. Ex- ex- extend him, Corey? Like, like let's go. Well, like, yeah, I, Brendan. I mean, the, the person you're describing sounds scared. awfully like someone you'd want to build a team around and I, keep around for a while. And that's in this... It, it, look, it's still early, right? But it's... It gives me a little bit of anxiety to see Chris Bryant do this well and knowing that, hey, in two months, three months, yeah. he may be doing this for, for a different team. It's man. stressful. That, it's yeah. stressful. It's like, oh, we have, we, oh, I, I don't know. It, 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 even talking about it gives me some like, you know, stress on, on, on well, it. Well, I mean, it, it, you're, you know, you're not, you're not wrong for feeling that way. Nobody is, right? Like this is yeah. a bad situation that's, that's been brought about. Uh, by, you know, a, a combination in, in many ways of ownership and their cheapness and the front office and their inability to get any of these extensions done in the past and, you know, some of the decisions they've made that have led them to where this team is right now. So it's a bit of a mess and it's an unfortunate spot because I think uh, with everything that we've been told and come to expect from this organization, since Theo joined and, and the rebuild all started, this isn't a spot that I think we expected to be in, and it's not a spot we deserve to be in. Like the 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 pitch that we were all sold and, and the path that this organization was on was when a player they drafted who is performing this well and has performed this well in his entire career unless he's been injured, everything that we've been sold would suggest that all of this was so that they'd have the money and the ability to keep players like this as Chicago Cubs forever. And they might still do that. I don't know what their plan is with each specific player, but the fact that we're even anxious about it is a joke, dude. Like that, this, this is a, a, this is something that, uh, you know, bad teams with 
you know that spend 90 million dollars a year on their players are sitting around worrying about it it's it's not yeah. something that Chicago Cubs should be it worrying sucks. about it's a mess it's a mess with Anthony Rizzo it's a mess mess with Javi Baez this is where we are and you know again there's still time I hope they do the right thing in in a lot of these regards uh, but I don't know what's going to happen so I'm, yeah. I'm with you but I want to uh, before we we do uh, a quick preview of the upcoming series with the Dodgers just want to touch on the pitching staff just a little bit um, and the first thing I want to read Brendan is is a uh, pretty not great <laughs> uh tweet here from Patrick Mooney, and he lays it out. Through 28 games, the Cubs have seven quality starts in those 28 games, and the rotation has not gotten a single out in the seventh inning all season. None of the starters have an ERA at or below league average. Oof, Brendan. So, in general, we've seen a lot of starts where they've kept the team in in the game. They've kept the offense in the game, solid five, six inning starts, but we've seen a lot of blowups. Zach Davies has been not good all season. Kyle Hendricks has been struggling all season, uh, you know, uncharacteristically for him. And we've seen a lot of positive progress with someone like Alzali, but those numbers are not going to get it done. And we've talked about length a lot. Uh, David Ross mentioned that as well. This is who this staff is, right? We knew it was going to be volatile. We knew it was going to be inconsistent. And I don't think anybody was looking one through five at this group to be going out there giving you, you know, eight shutout innings or complete game shutouts, things like that. But we're going to keep hammering it until it happens. You have to start, I mean, a whole weekend, Brendan, where four innings from a starter is the the deepest into a game you get. It's it's just not going to cut it. And for the most part, I, I feel like David Ross and Tommy Hanavi have maybe even in some cases been giving them a longer leash than I would have. Right, so it's it, I I don't feel I, I just say that to mean like I don't but feel like David Ross why, is though. yanking these guys early. You know what I mean? I think he's trying to get as much length out of them as he can, and you know not let the game spiral out of control. So it's again, it's a simple point, but you have to start getting better efforts from this starting staff. Nobody's asking them to do something that they're not capable of, right? But we need we we have to get back to especially you know in this weekend in particular, Arietta and Williams giving you those five, six innings, keeping the team in the game, a quality start here or there. And of course, you know, someone like Davies needs to start picking up his end of the bargain. Well, that's that's the crux of the issue. It's like, okay, you, you expect to go into the year that even without Darvish, Davies would be competent. He would give you at least 30 starts, around league average, maybe above league average in run prevention. And you have Kyle Hendricks, who's going to anchor that staff. They they haven't done that so far. So then you look at Trevor Williams and Jake and Alzelay. And we we knew the limitations of all three of those guys. Alzelay right now is he needs to work on that stamina, which he's doing. And he looks really good. It's just a work in progress. For Jake, he had to iron out some of the mechanics and he's, he's still ironing them out. Uh, he looked good overall before last start but even even the command in the last three starts just was not there so it's no surprise to me that he got kind of shelled in his starting in Cincinnati and then with Trevor Williams he's working on new pitches man that was the excitement about bringing him over and in some starts he looks really good and some starts he just doesn't have it and I think last start the pitch repertoire numbers reflected that so going into that start he was throwing a curveball 15% of the time. He was throwing a slider around 20, 25% of the time. But against Cincinnati, he only threw four curveballs in 72 pitches, a 6% rate. So you knew he had no feel for that pitch. And even the slider, he only threw 10 times out of 70, 72, uh, 72 pitches. He only got three whips. So whatever happened for Trevor on Sunday, he did not have the feel for his pitches. And it's not to say like, oh, you know, these these guys are going to be always doing this. It's all to say is this was part of the formula. You knew that getting to that next level for these guys likely required some hiccups sure. and some, some growth spurts along the way. And so when you don't have Kyle Hendricks and Davies anchoring that rotation, then these types of issues get magnified and they hurt the team. Yeah. So for, for me, we, we need, like first and foremost for this rotation, 
Hendricks and Davies have got to be who we expected them to be. And then the rest, I think Alzali is going to get more innings. He's going to get that stamina. And I'm confident that Jake and Trevor can be at least league average. I really I really do believe that. It's just not surprising that along the way, you're going to get some of these starts. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's that's well said. And, you know, again, it's it's some of it seems obvious. Like, it, you know, we're not a, you know, we're, we're not geniuses for saying, that, you know, you need guys to go more than two and two thirds. But yeah. it's, you know, and I think that Patrick Mooney tweet really highlights that. Like, it's it's really plaguing this team. Um, so before, last thing, just one, I know you, you talked about Justin Steele a little bit, but in keeping with, you know, kind of trying to keep an eye, we talked about Nico, of course, and, and David Bodie, some of these guys that, that ought to figure into the future plans. But just want to uh, highlight again uh, this week in terms of of guys who you know figure to be a part of the future or at least can be part of the future and and be a productive use of time in in 2021. Dylan Maples this weekend in Cincinnati three and a third innings of relief. He did not walk a single batter. He did not allow any runs. Uh, he did not give up any hits, and he struck out five people. Brendan. So he's one of those guys where you've heard it a lot. People get excited. Then it comes down to earth. People get excited, comes down to earth. We've seen it, right? But he did make a pretty significant uh, mechanical change that we detailed at CubsInsider.com in the offseason, you know, spring training and all that. So there is at least something to look at and say, okay, well, you could expect the results to be different. And he's been good so far in his time in the majors. This was a very good weekend for him. And Justin Steele struggled on Sunday, gave up a couple of, look, I don't want to write them off. He did give up home runs, but Cincinnati, like, you know, they they weren't exactly like, you know, mammoth towering shots, right? But he, you know, he did get beat three runs in, in an inning of work with three hits. So that's not great. Uh, but Justin Steele also on Friday night, two innings of relief, one hit, uh, a run that was unearned and five strikeouts. And, you know, of course, he's had much less major league experience than Dylan Maples. So he's still, uh, you know, getting these first few outings out of the way. But those are two guys. Again, you know, we're looking at guys in the bullpen. I know Steele has started before, so, you know, his future role uh, may be not positive of exactly what that is. But seeing some of these younger guys get the opportunity in the Cubs bullpen and having really nice outings. I mean, from the two of them back to back on Friday night, four innings of work with nine strikeouts and no walks. Like, that's good stuff, Brendan. And, and if you're looking to the future, you know, obviously they, those types of outings are helping them in 2021, but the more of these guys, right, if you're unsure of what the payroll situation is going to be, what the Cubs are doing in terms of their overall roster construction, the more guys that are coming from your system, right, that are still in arbitration or pre-arbitration, wherever they are, right, and they're not costing a lot of money and you can invest in them as, as younger players and guys that you brought up, that makes everything a lot easier, right? The more roster spots you can fill out with those types of guys, it makes everything going on around it a lot better and a lot easier. So that's why we want to continue to highlight those guys. And again, rougher outing on Sunday for Steele, but a really nice couple innings on Friday night and a whale of a weekend for Dylan Maples. Yeah, Maples, the changes you've seen with the, I guess, tighter, cleaner mechanics, is encouraging when it's coupled with some better commands and better numbers. Uh, Maples is still a work in progress, and we've seen at times him look really good, and most of the time we see the command completely escape him. So I think we need more time, that's that's obvious, but it looks to be on the right trajectory, and a lot of the StatCast numbers, like the strikeout percentage, the, the whiff percentage, they're all top tier, right? Like we even knew... His slider movement was always in the top tier, the top like 90th percentile. This is all to say, like, for him, it's just a matter of being consistent, a matter of tightening things up. And so far, he he's showing positive signs. Now, for Steele, I'm glad we're seeing him now. I'm still getting like used to, to what he looks like as a, as a pitcher, but that slider, dude, is just disgusting. And according to just horizontal movement, he has more horizontal movement uh, 136% more movement than your average slider thrown by a lefty. That, that, that's awesome. And one other interesting observation for Steele is that his predicted sinker and four-seam horizontal movement 
are more or less identical in terms of like the actual uh, spin access when it leaves his hand. But the, the observed movement, the actual movement, is far different. There's far more separation between his sinker and his forcing. And we've seen recently, this is kind of like beyond like, you know, my physics understanding, but we've seen this recently be a, a center of focus for uh, Tommy Hadevi in this like uh, shifted wake, I guess, if you want to call it that. The, uh, you have uh, Sahadev Sharma of The Athletic wrote about it. You have Eno Stairs writing about it from The Athletic. But this is an example of what that means is where you have the predicted movement not mashing with the observed movement. And that can be for a variety of reasons, such as, you know, release point and, and angle of snapping your wrist when you're throwing the ball. And so that that's interesting. And Steele has been a starter in years past. I know his plans right now appear to be out of the bullpen, but we'll see how the year progresses. You know, if the Cubs are actually out of it by August, September, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Steele get some chances as a starter. I think he has really good stuff, and especially with that, that two-seam and four-seam differentiation with that slider, like I'm I'm very intrigued about his role, even beyond being a reliever. But that's the role they ultimately decide to put him in, and then so be it. I think he'll be successful. Okay. So series preview. This is uh, this is gonna suck, guys. They're playing the Dodgers. Uh, so the first game is Monday at Wrigley. Starts at six forty p.m. Central. Uh, it sucks because they're, they're facing three really good pitchers. So on game one, they'll be facing Walker Bueller for the Dodgers. Uh, he's one and zero with a three point one six ERA. You have Hendricks on the mound, who's one and three with a seven point five four. ERA. Then on Tuesday, same start time. You have 6.40 p.m. Uh, another difficult pitcher, Clayton Kershaw, on the year will be uh, throwing for the Dodgers. He's 4-2 and two with a 2.09 ERA. You have Adbert Alzali on the mound for the Cubs, 1-2 and two with a 4.71 ERA. And then on Wednesday to finish off this set, you have Trevor Bauer on the mound. Uh, we know all about Bauer. We know his uh, disgusting breaking pitches from his time in Cincinnati uh, on the year. He's off to a good start. He's 3-1 and one with a 2.48 ERA. We have Jake Arrieta on the mound for the Cubs with a 3-3 three and three record. A 4.31 ERA. The Dodgers are off to a decent start. They're 17-12. and 12. The Cubs going into Monday are 12-16. and 16. Again, they're five games back of Milwaukee in the division. And that's where it stands. Uh, this, this is an obvious one. You have tough pitching. You want to see the offensive trends we've seen in the past few games continue. Look for that aggression. Again, when I say aggression, maybe jumping on some of those first few pitches like we saw in Sunday's game. But at the end of this entire series, I want to come back here. I want to talk about the pitching. I want to talk about how good Kyle Hendricks looked on Monday. I want to talk about how good Alzali looked. Maybe this is a tough lineup. If he can get through five or six innings, that would be a big deal for Alzali. And I want to talk about Jake's command being a lot sharper. Um, and I think hopefully that's that's the key to the series and they can come away if that all happens with a series win and feeling good about themselves. But it's it's a lot of issues we've been talking about. It's frustrating at times because you know the potential, but you know the volatility. And I think right now the main issue at hand is just getting deep starts, getting good command from Kyle and Jake and long innings from all these starters at this point. Yeah, this is going to be a tough series, and it's it's you know obviously a test for this team. And as we head into May now, of course, you know timing is is everything. And if you're you know looking at that trade deadline, and again, whether you expect a big time sell off, uh, just a couple of moves, whatever, you know the 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 runway for this team to entice Jed Hoyer and his front office to give more to this team as they attempt to, uh, you know, defend their crown as the reigning NL Central champions, that time is dwindling, right? That's just the reality of the situation. There's no two ways about it. That's not my opinion. That's reality. So each series carries a lot of weight, and this was a, a frustrating one in Cincinnati. Like I said at the outset, you certainly felt like with the offensive production uh, and just the the overall play, you would have hoped to have won that series with especially the amount of runs you scored in a couple of those games. And, you know, now you've got a team, this is probably the best time to play the Dodgers. Um, you know, they they had, had they won on uh, Sunday. I think they had hit two grand slams against the Brewers on Sunday, uh, but 
I think like a couple week stretch, they they have not been very good over the last couple weeks, uh, especially relative to their expectations, but still a good team. Uh, And when you're getting their top three starters, makes it even trickier. So this is going to be a tough series for the Cubs. And, you know, the, the Cubs have not fared as well as you would like against the Pirates, who they, they play uh, next weekend. You've got some off days. You've got the Indians, the Tigers. So, the, the again, I, I don't want to say the schedule softens because the Cubs have lost series to the Pirates. So that, that, that feels uh, unfair, I guess. But we knew that this particular stretch up until this series with the Dodgers was going to be particularly aggressive for the Cubs. So at the very least, this is kind of, you, you get an off day on Thursday, a little bit of a breather, then you've got the Pirates at home, then you've got two off days uh, the following week before before and after a two-game set in Cleveland, where actually uh, the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. Just something I just remembered. Um, but regard, you know, so again, like things maybe ease up a little bit, but you're running out of time to sort of like get things together and and uh, you know really get where you want to be on this season as as we are on a collision course uh, with the trade deadline perhaps and this is a it's a tough matchup for this team so uh, you you want to see them right the ship we've we've laid out you know kind of a, a litany of things that you want to see from this team better starting pitching is is really the key I, I think the offense has we we know we know the offense at this point right we've talked about it for years we know they're going to be inconsistent at times but. I think that in general, we've sort of flipped, we flipped the script from the beginning of the season. Like right now, it's the pitching that needs to get the job done and give the team more of a chance to win, uh, whereas obviously it was the offense in those first few weeks. So that's what we need to see. And, you know, again, this is not exactly the the Dodger lineup. It, it won't have Cody Bellinger, but this is not exactly a lineup you look at and go, okay, this is who we're going to get right against, right? So Hopefully the, this 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 pitching staff can give us some good performances, and it, it would show a lot if they're able to do it against uh, this Dodger team. But between that and and the three pitchers you're facing for the Dodgers, it's a tough series. So uh, hopefully the Cubs can grind this out. It would be a very nice and impressive series win. Uh, this is a, a short homestand, but if you can make it a productive one, it, it will go a long way. And again, to reiterate, you know, Brendan said, like you know, they're they're a handful out of the Brewers, but still, you know, right in the thick of things in a, in a, uh, what, as we all knew, uh, has proven to be a, a competitive, if at the same time, somewhat uninspiring NL Central division. So, uh, you know, any, anytime you can kind of get the course back on track, uh, you, you know, we'll inch back toward 500 and, and we'll take it from there. But, uh, this would be a, a very nice series to win if the Cubs can, can find a way to pull this off. So that is, where we are, folks, uh, what a season it's been. This is, you know, we knew it was going to be like this, Brendan, but this is definitely a bit unlike any other season that we have covered for the Chicago Cubs. Not not unlike ones we've seen in our lifetime, but in the span of this podcast, this is certainly uh, a different one. A, a lot more series loss recaps than I think we've ever done, uh, certainly this early in a season. But we're we're here. We're we're ready to turn it around on Monday night against the Dodgers, and we will be with you on Wednesday evening, Thursday morning, to recap how it all went down. So uh, we thank you guys for riding with us through this season, and uh, you know, again, hopefully we have a more uplifting discussion after this series with the Dodgers. But as always, we thank you guys for tuning in to the Cubs related podcast. We will talk to you in a few days, and as always, go Cubs.